0: 10 to 1, episode 146. Dune movie review.
1: Welcome to 10 to 1, the podcast where we make top 10 lists about everything, except we're not doing probably a uh, top 10 about this
0: no top 10 tonight uh but we do have clint back clint do you know how long it's been since you've uh podcasted with us you want to guess i'm gonna say three years yep almost four it was a uh, january 2018 we did a uh, at that time our annual board game top 10 board games podcast and uh Before we get started with our actual topic tonight, I'm going to read you your top 10 list and I want you to just give me a a quick yes or no. If you think it would still be one of your 10 favorites four years later, you ready? Okay. You actually gave us 11. So your 11 was Agricola, all creatures, big and small. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Keep that on. Uh, 10 was core worlds. No. Okay. Nine Arctic scavengers.
2: Probably, yeah,
0: yeah, high, but okay. still, still clinging in. I think this might've been the newest one at the time. Eight is Flam Rouge. Nah. Okay.
2: <laughs> still good, but not top have 10.
0: Yeah. Uh, seven was Seven Wonders Duel.
2: Uh, it'd probably fall out. Yeah.
0: Okay. Six was Android Netrunner. That's still in. Okay. I thought that one might be a uh, five. That- Dead game, but still went <laughs> uh, five was Pandemic Legacy season one. Um yeah, I haven't played that I haven't yet. played it since that so you'd have to, to move it out, long. I guess.
2: Yeah. Positive memories, but probably not playing it ever again.
0: Yeah. Four was Concordia. Yeah. I'd like to play that one again. Three was Spirit Island. Oh yeah. yeah two Vitic Okay, two Viticulture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the top's real strong. So I would keep that one in, actually. And your number one, maybe this was the newest one, actually. Gloomhaven was already your number one.
1: Oh, yeah. It had yeah, just it had, come out.
2: It's, uh, it's still my my number one. Um, they actually released a... One of the ones that might make its way into a new top 10 would be... They released, like, a smaller box that's, like, some of the stuff cut down and a little more approachable. Um, I hadn't played... I got that really cheap last year and hadn't touched it as much. And I pulled that out like a week or two ago. So I actually just started messing around with, uh, the Gloomhaven jaws of the lion in the past week or so having a lot of fun with that again. I was like, oh yeah, this is uh really fun.
0: <laughs> I forgot. So, you'd, so you'd recommend that to somebody who hasn't, hasn't played any of them.
1: So you'd recommend that to someone who's thinking about Christmas coming up soon. Is what girl, you're forget, uh,
0: maybe a year when we're not having a baby.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I would recommend that or they just put out a digital version of the big box that mm. is actually probably what I would recommend if you're, because it cuts to, like, the big complaint is that it makes you do the tabletop version of, like, a computer to do the engine and that can mm. just be tedious and time-consuming as, like, that's the really only big hit on it and uh, the computer now does all that for you. <laughs> so, it can cut, you know, a two-hour session to, like, 60 minutes or something. So, Ooh. Um, gotcha. I would probably act all that, right. But it's, it's, it's digital, too. So, you know, you lose the tactile and the event. A bunch of people are on the table part. So,
0: Right, right. It's a balance. Well, you know, another board game I'd like to try is the new Dune board game. And speaking of the Dune board game,
1: it's not there's a the new
0: Dune existence. movie. <laughs> so, uh, so we don't usually do movie reviews. This might be our first time doing just a single movie review for a current movie. But I was really interested in talking... Uh, to you Clint because I know that uh, you'd never read the book um, and you really liked the movie and there were some things that I had questions about on um, uh, things that I wish had been in the movie that weren't in the book and so I wanted to ask you um, uh, kind of your thoughts so what we're gonna do is um, we're not we're gonna spoil everything that's in or anything that was in the movie could possibly be spoiled. So don't listen to the podcast if you haven't seen it yet. And um, we're not gonna spoil anything in the second half of the book, which would be in the, in the second movie, um, and nothing in the sequel that we've both read, of course, either. Um, uh, but we will uh, go around and talk about the movie And then I've got maybe some specific questions, um, for you. And then, uh, maybe we'll, we'll get your predictions if you haven't, uh, if you don't know what's coming in the second, second part of the story. And, uh, yeah, I think that'll, that'll about wrap us up unless you've got, got anything else. Um, just pepper those in as we go, I guess.
1: Okay. Um, can I, can I lead off?
0: Uh, sure.
1: Okay. Well, uh, so my first question, uh. Of course, you and I,
0: okay, no, you can't lead off then no. what we're gonna do
1: <laughs>
0: Give a specific question because I was going to have I was going to have everybody give their their general thoughts about the movie first. So, if it's a specific question, then we'll we'll save that for later.
1: Well, it's a specific general question, which is,
0: okay, ask it, and then we'll see if we're going to do it right Thank now. Or not. You.
1: Apparently, the whole episode is going to be like this.
0: I've planned it. I've planned this out already.
1: If what you have to <laughs> say is worth listening to. All right. So what I was going to say before I was very rudely interrupted was that uh, Brandon and I, of course, we've read that this is our second time reading the first book. Uh, like, we're very familiar with the Dune universe, the universe and uh, so we knew, like, our minds kind of filled in, like, things that may have been confusing uh, for somebody who's going into this blind. And so I just wanted to get an idea of, like, what do you think, Clint, is happening? Can you give us kind of a synopsis of the movie from your understanding?
0: Okay, yeah, we can do that as, like, but not, uh, let's not go too in-depth.
1: I know, but I figured this way we can sort of see what he understands and what he's figured out. Well, and that way there's no chance of us accidentally spoiling anything for him.
0: Well, we're because not. No, you- no, no, no. We're not going to spoil anything. We're not going to spoil anything. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, so uh Clint I I'm interested in what you knew going in like just from pop culture what kind of stuff you were aware of and then tell us what you thought about the the movie and you can answer Melissa's question Don't if you want to. this as
1: if it's your thing. It's my thing. You just rephrased exactly what I said.
2: Um uh, yeah so I would say that uh Dune's a weird one cuz it's like uh it's nowhere near as mainstream as like Star Wars or something like that Where if you haven't seen it you probably still know like okay you know all the Star Wars stuff. Uh instead do you know feel like it's a place of pop culture is it just has all these really esoteric proper nouns and people will make jokes about like, you know, the Fremen or the Bene Gesserit or, you know, oh the Harkonnens or whatever and or what is it, the Gong Jabar or whatever. And you're like, this makes none of this makes any <laughs> sense. You'd see like uh, like adult nerds on Twitter make jokes that are really esoteric and you're like, Yeah, okay, I guess I don't I don't get that. Uh and the books were interesting to me. It's just, uh, one of those things you always like intend to get to, um, but hadn't yet. Uh, but yeah, the jokes were just totally, uh, all the references to it were totally inscrutable. Um, you know, I had a general idea. Okay. It's some sort of political battle on a sand planet. I know there's like drugs, uh, of sort that's the big, uh, like a, you know, big commodity that they're fighting over. Um, and that's that's about it just basically a big political intrigue there's kind of a sort of bad guy and good guy uh parties of the two houses but i assumed it was probably you know more nuanced than that in the book um yeah pretty much that yeah sand planet two big long uh long running part like dynasties that are warring with each other over control of it and big weird space epic and then you know um me that like jodorowsky tried to famously uh, <laughs> uh, adapt it in the 70s or whatever and that he'd gone on i read the Inkle last year that was the comic that i think he put a lot of his ideas into so i had a kind of weird idea of like oh, okay i wonder what of this is you know there's like techno priests and meta yeah. and stuff in that that are kind of weird i was like i wonder if some of this is kind of like a fractured off influence from dune in the same way that huh. one you know, stuff in star wars after having seen the movie, it's like, oh, Star Wars also borrowed a lot from dude. Yep, uh, yep. But, so I had all that a vague idea, but as far as the specifics or any of the proper nouns, what they meant, you know, oh, who were the Fremen, who are uh, all, all the different things. I was totally, I didn't know Sardaukar at all. That was,
0: that was... Sure. Funny. Yeah, I feel like for your, like, regular person, maybe sandworms and maybe okay. the spice must flow is like the... <laughs> probably the two things i had heard of
2: yeah i would say those are the, the big two that i didn't even think of because i guess that was just but yeah those are definitely the two big like almost memes that would be uh yeah just known about
0: yeah so what'd you think about the movie
2: yeah so i totally loved it um i didn't get a chance to see it in theaters yet uh i'm hoping to do that either try to get to the imax or maybe just a local place um regular size screen but if yeah, I totally loved it. Uh, even just at home, I put headphones on and watched it and was uh, blown away. You know, it's uh, like visually and sound design and everything. It's incredible. And then the, the plot was really compelling, too. Um, when I started watching it, I, I kind of wanted to see it finally because it's like, oh, gosh, you know, like it's finally available. But I was honestly pretty tired. And I started it kind of late. And I thought, hope this isn't one of those things where you've been looking forward to something and you get 15 minutes in and you're like, man, I'm not freaking I on this at all like i this yeah. the worst time to watch this but i was pretty worried that was going to happen but i was you know i didn't want to wait either so i started it and just immediately hooked in um you know wish part two could go right afterwards and just watch all five hours late into the night when it got done so uh, <laughs> yeah i really loved it i loved, loved it a lot um and then uh i was I, I think i mentioned in a comments on a second watch so i was a little suspicious of the way some Nolan movies kind of initially blow me away. And then on rewatch, I'm like, eh, it's a little thin story-wise. Um, but I liked it more on second watch, and I got a lot more wow. out of it uh, story-wise. And picked up a lot of little small things. So, um, yeah, I just totally loved it.
0: Yeah, I think you mentioned that you caught a joke the second time. What uh, what joke was it? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, so the first time, zero jokes. thought it was totally humorless. Um, which was fine in the case. Usually that would be a problem, but I thought it fit. Um, but the one joke I caught the second time was really early on when they're at breakfast and, uh, his mom says, you know, use the voice and make me give you the water. And he's kind of rubbing his eye and he looks at the glass and he kind of sarcastically says, give me the water, but he doesn't do like the voice. He just does like a lowered voice. and She does. How oh, <laughs> oh, funny. Like use the voice. No, and I didn't it. like, oh God. like. And then you know he does the weird audio comes in and uh, that can the effect. And It's like, oh wow, that's cool. But yeah, I missed it the first time entirely. And he plays it really well. It's just the sarcastic, like surly teen at breakfast, like, "Come on, mom, just give me the water. Come on."
0: <laughs> nice but the one joke I found. That's funny.
1: <laughs> Man, wasn't the voice just awesome? I was I was interested to see how they how they were going to do that, hmm. and I. I fully approve of how they pulled it off.
0: Yeah, I guess that seems like one of the maybe unfilmable kind of things. There's a lot of things in the book that kind of seem like they would be difficult to put in an adaptation. But Melissa, what what did you think about the movie? And maybe uh, also you can stick in what what you think about the book.
1: Well, the book is better um, because there's just so much that is going on like uh there's even on our second read i still feel like uh there's still so much more that i can get out of it and i plan to go back it's a book that you can go back to over and over again and uh just keep on getting more out of it um and then and we were talking brian and i about all they were able to do this and we understand why you know and concessions have to be made or or sacrifices because you can't do everything that a book can do, or it would just be ridiculous. Short of like doing like a mini series or a TV show or something like that. But um I mean, I think that for for what they were able to do, they uh Denise Villeneuve made really good choices, and I didn't really have any problems with. Uh, what he had had to cut out or whatever. I wasn't sitting there thinking I could do better. You know, there's there's some adaptations where you sit there and think that. Uh, but uh, I absolutely uh, loved wh- what I saw. So I didn't have any problems.
0: Okay. And then for me, uh, we talked about the book when we did our, our favorite books back in March, I think. Um, that uh, the first time I read it it was from the library and I didn't finish it in time and, and just returned it and quit and then the second time I read it and respected it but it wasn't something that I really liked I wouldn't say um, and then the third time um, we uh, listened to the the series that the Sci-Fi Christians did um, that we've had uh, on our, our podcast a bunch of times and uh, they did a I don't know, like 10 hours or something of just going through it chapter by chapter. And, um, uh, the one guy has read through the whole series, or at least all of the Frank Herbert series. And so, um, was able to, uh, draw out a lot of really interesting stuff. And, uh, so from that, uh, read, um, and, and also going, doing that read through, uh, it made to, to my, um, uh, Uh, top ten favorite books. So um it is really hard to read. It's really um it's really dense. Like it's accused of um uh purple prose just on the like the sentence level. Um and then it's also um from the perspective of just the kind of way that he writes it as like a it's it is fiction that you're reading, but it's also almost like reading a history book sometimes where he's got, um, uh, I think maybe the way he's kind of playing with how Paul is having visions of the future and the the series gets into a lot of um, like free will versus destiny uh, kind of stuff. And and, um, so you kind of get that even just from the structure of uh, like before each chapter, you've got a quote from like various fictional in-world things um, so like uh, one of the characters is writing a history much later on, and you'll get quotes from that, um, and even things like, um, uh, so like you have Doctor Yue, that is the um, traitor that you find out. I don't know halfway through the movie, maybe, but in the book, it's like almost as soon as he's introduced, it's like page thirty. He's introduced, and you get. <laughs> like a quote from an uh, at
1: the start of his chapter.
0: A fictional history of uh he is known as the traitor to uh Duke Leto Atreides. And it's not until page two hundred that he actually actually does it. Um the
1: whole book is structured like that where uh Herbert tells you, This is what's gonna happen and now let's play out and see you know, let it play out and see how it happens. But uh but you already know long be- in the movie, I don't know if you picked up that moving to Ar- Arrakis was or Arrakis, i always get that wrong um was a death sentence for duke Leto um and supposed to be a death sentence for his whole family but um you get th- you get that straight off the bat in the book
2: right I did a Right. do in the movie too and uh, you know implying that this was if not a death sentence yeah, it's, it's implied that it's like very fraught and it's not a, it's not a gift. It's a, definitely a uh, instigation that's likely to put them on the back But And then of course, when he sides with the Harkonnens, it's like, okay, well, clearly there's an outcome he's looking for here and it's not uh, intended to be good for the Atreides. So.
0: Right, right. So yeah, it's really strange in that, in that way, it's not really character focused, like a lot of other books are, or, or even plot focused. Um, it's, it's really a lot about the ecology since he was an ecologist, I guess, and the the world and all of the interlocking systems. Uh, so I think from that perspective, um, like I'm thinking of it later, I, I really like the movie, even though some of the stuff with the characters got cut out, some of the plot got cut out. I think it really nailed the feel of it and the, um, that overall world so um also really liked the movie so um why don't we get into some specifics uh we're just gonna interrogate you clint Oh yeah. um we've got the gom jabbar at your neck you're gonna put your hand into the box <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh uh well let's let's just see what uh what translated It's oh, um... less painful than it was <laughs>
1: okay yeah so what was your favorite scene and why
2: okay sure we'll start with that um so i don't know that uh, it's individually my favorite scene but i think the one that i reacted to the most which is probably just more of a culmination is uh uh, so the way they say desert power early on i was kind of like man it seems like it could go like early on i wasn't totally sure if you know if it's so serious um some you know you could almost say self-serious but i think that has a kind of negative uh implication which i don't mm-hmm. think is fitting here but it's so serious that if it doesn't pull off uh the emotions of, you know that everyone's just it could be really hammy and cheesy basically and so early mm-hmm. on when, uh duke leto says desert power and he's you know i was like oh i have been kind of humid, <laughs> but like i'm sure i'm but i could feel i feel like this could go the wrong way you know if it pretty easily yeah, I and mean. so then the movie you know just totally wrapped up loving it and uh just edge of my seat and at the end when they're uh it well, the chani looks back and then you know you see the sandworm the the worm rider is there and i was like i knew there was a lot of worm shenanigans and i'd heard something much later just <laughs> in pop culture that happens with worms it's pretty outrageous um so it wasn't a big shock that someone was riding the worm but in that moment of like you know. I've Built up the emotions of the whole movie are riding in the worm, and I wanted to like pop my hand. And then, uh, Paul goes <laughs> desert power, and I was like, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> desert power. <laughs> uh, silly yeah, the- totally in, in total isolation, my favorite part of the movie, but I think that was probably the most like, you know, it's just the fist pump at the end of the movie. You're like, Yeah, this is going out on a high note. It's like the uh, in fellowship when they're you know, the end when they're leaving, and you see uh, they- that feeling of like, man, where is this going next? I can't, can't wait to find out the rest of the story. Um, let's say that was probably the emotional high point. Um, yeah. 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 Having not thought about a favorite part. I, I love the whole movie, but that would, yeah, I think, uh, emotional highlight.
0: Yeah. And when, uh, when, uh, Kynes, the, uh, 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 what's her title? Agent of the Change, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. yeah, Arbiter of the Change. When she gets out her um
1: her hooks. Her hooks. Before she's about she's stabbed in the back.
0: Right. So we're watching it as uh, as book readers are like, oh yeah, about to get some riding on a worm. And then of course she dies. And so like, okay, I guess they have to save that for the second movie. So that was a, a good, fake that <laughs> good fake out. Good fake out Denise that uh <laughs> that part
2: is partly um, because on the first watch um you know i knew she'd okay she set off the uh pulser or whatever it was to draw the worm there but i actually thought she you know she knew she had people on her tail so i thought she okay this is going to be like a diversion or a trap she's setting for the other guys because i haven't seen you know there's been no kind of worm riding up to that point um and then she pulled out the hooks and it was like uh she you know i i, I didn't know what was going on with the hooks i'm like is she getting ready to or is she like this is like a religious kind of sentiment like she's praising the worm or something and then of course she gets attacked and right i thought like wait this doesn't really make sense that she would be sacrificing herself but i guess so okay whatever and then you know the movie goes on and uh obviously she kind of has a uh like a religious moment of sacrifice of being consumed by the worm at that point i'm like okay and i didn't think a lot about it was like that Doesn't totally square up. And then obviously on rewatch, you see, oh, okay. Yeah. Those are, those are worm books clearly. And she was just going to, she was hailing a taxi and it didn't work out for her. Um, But that was something that I think on first watch is one book reader. That's like, maybe you could pick that up, but you'd have to be pretty canny to pick that up, I think. And it was like much clearer on second watch. Um, And then similarly, when Paul, uh, when he's having police or visions, when they're in the storm, there's a quick shot of Jameis with the hooks as well. And it was very much like, uh, maybe reading a little much into it, but it felt like, you know, this metaphor of like, oh, yeah, this is Jameis and he's riding the worm. And the worm is just, you know, this power that's greater than you. And you just kind of give in to it and uh, harness it and, and like, you know, go with the flow for lack of anything uh, more eloquent. And then that's what, of course, sets fall off to like uh, accept the power of the storm and ride it out. And I thought that was really good yeah. whereas on the first time through I didn't pick up on the hooks in his vision at all, as meaning it was like, okay, there's a guy with hooks and
0: right. You know. <laughs> yeah, so let's uh so maybe that's a good good transition then. What uh what do you think about well maybe I'll even back up before I ask about the visions? What uh what do you think Paul's what do you think Paul's abilities um, and and powers are, um, yeah. And so, uh,
2: I think from the movie you get that he's been trained in the voice, and that's very much, you know, it's like okay, what is the voice? And um, it seems very much like, uh, you know, a forerunner to uh, what is it like, force persuasion or something? It's a uh, from you know Star Wars, yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it seems very much right. Uh, like a coercive ability that's you know supernatural and overriding um but yeah so seemingly his his mother has uh given him some early training in that um possibly against an right. wishes possibly is what it seems like um and he's mm-hmm. has a uh a, a halting uh ability with that but you know he's not quite great at it um i think that's really all the movie what's implies and then I'd seen separately uh I stopped reading stuff once so I knew we were going to record this because I didn't want to you know be like deep lore uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'd seen someone mention <laughs> someone was complaining that oh they don't discuss his mintat training or abilities at all and I was like okay well, I guess that's the the Same. secondary thing is so he has some sort of uh mintat training which i don't to they even use that word in the movie but um so I assume maybe that ties into his vision somehow but uh, I think the only the only abilities the movie tells is, okay, he yeah, has some sort of, you know, premonition that uh, sometimes they come true exactly and sometimes, you know, uh, his forewarning of them gives him the ability to foresee and change them or influence them.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I won't say anything in addition um, from the books, but I think that's a good, uh, I don't think you missed anything that was that was in the movie. Um uh for mentats, uh do you know do you know what the mentats are? There are some mentat characters. I don't remember either if they say the word mentat.
2: Yeah, I think that's the one like proper noun that you know leaked out into pop culture that they don't ever use or explain, but it's the uh yeah, the two uh black lipstick. Uh like human calculators yeah. basically it seemed <laughs> like.
0: Yeah. Yep. And, uh, they, I don't think this is a, a spoiler. It's just part of the history of the, of the book, but it's, um, uh, basically computers are illegal. So you, the that's, I, I don't know if Herbert did that to avoid kind of, uh, uh, predicting future technology, or if it was just a way to kind of sidestep that, uh, we're so far in the future. Um, but there's basically computers are illegal and so the, there's people that are trained to be computers and that's what the, that's what those men tats are.
2: Yeah. My impression was that it was like, maybe the, maybe the Bene Gesserit and the men were both kind of like fractioned off reactions to, uh, you know, needing to provide computer functions, but not having that kind of technology anymore. Um, was my impression. I don't know if that's correct, but it seemed like there's maybe a variety of different versions of needing to fulfill that function, but not having the technological ability. So they're trying to backfill it. Hmm. That's interesting.
1: What do you think the Benny Jesuit do? Like, what is what is their purpose?
2: Uh, I mean, they seem like, uh, you know, the, uh, maybe like the deep state of <laughs> <if I'm doing> <laughs> something. <laughs> like, you know, this this uh permanent you know behind the scenes uh, almost like a shadow organization obviously we have more than just being able to influence they can pretty strongly put their finger on the skill to uh, coerce certain outcomes um and as far as their you know what they're going for i mean they, they clearly have some sort of uh they want like this messiah type figure who has yeah some ultimate power to bring uh some sort of reckoning about, but, you know, that's still, I would say that was pretty unclear from the movie. Um, but also it wasn't like a big, uh, I didn't think it was a big absence from the movie, um, as far as, you know, really needing to get into that yet. Cause I don't think Paul, it's largely from Paul's perspective. I don't think Paul really knows what they're hoping for from him either. So that seemed fair to me.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's, I don't think we know much more than that at this point in the book either. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's the the Kwisatz Haderach. Um, And they say a little bit about what that person is able to do. I'm trying to remember exactly what they say in the movie. I don't want to say more than you would have already got. But I think, yeah. I'm I, 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 to comment about, uh, since I only have the movie
2: and not the book, uh, They yeah. they say something like, he can see like he can see realities in bridge space or fold space, or so they say something space about... Space
1: and time, I
2: think. Yeah, bridge, space, and time, or something um flowing along those lines.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I don't remember if they actually say it, but um the Bene Gesserit can kind of see backwards in like a genetic memory sort of way. And they're... When they eventually get this this messiah type character, they're gonna be able to see the past and the future is what they're trying to they're trying to develop that
2: okay. and so you have like all of all of time and all of history and be at your uh, call
0: You'd essentially be you're like unmoored from time right so then that um that leads into you had mentioned the visions, and I think you said. It they were a little bit they made more sense the second time you watched. Um. So what what do you kind of? uh, uh I'm specifically thinking of like when he's in the tent and he's seeing a vision, um. And of and a few times in later. Other than the, like what you had mentioned already of of there's visions of things that have already now happened by the end of the movie. Um. Uh, do you can you. Uh. Kind of pick up what what is uh possibly coming in those visions. So it, it seems like, um, in his visions, he's fully, uh,
2: like, you know, joined up with the Fremen. He's, uh, he's essentially leading them in a, I mean, whatever he says, a holy war that's just, uh, ruinous to the galaxy. It's all, seemingly they're doing well, as far as you can do well in a holy war that's, you know, destroying life, uh, on a ridiculous scale, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's up in his tactical suit, just thrashing people on various planets. And then, you know, all the people that are under him are praising him, him and Chani and a few other people seemingly have united his name, the all the glory that his Atreides heritage uh, brings to him. And then all the glory he's gotten from like seemingly leading and uniting the Fremen as, you know, allied under one person. And they're presumably, I guess... Uh, waging holy war that tears a fire through the galaxy or whatever the term is he uses against the uh, Empire and the Harkonnens and everybody is my impression and that terrifies him and seemed like a thing he does not want to uh, to come uh,
0: in the way he's seeing it at least. Yeah, yeah, we won't say anything Sure. about... Uh, <laughs> but I
1: think you're throwing along good lines. Yeah,
0: you, I think you're... I think you're on track and I will say, I will just say that, um, uh, uh, one of the criticisms that I've seen is that, um, that it's setting up a, it's like a white savior narrative and I can definitely see, uh, from this first movie where, where you'd, um, kind of predict that that's, that that would be a problem, I guess, with the story that, that that's something Herbert would have done. Um, but uh he was not he was aware i think of what he was writing, and he was a he made things a lot more complex than I think people are are maybe thinking just having seen the first movie um so i think um certainly in the second movie and and maybe more in the sequel book if that if that gets to be a movie or or just people reading the the first couple books, there's more. Nuance and more gray area um, that comes in with with characters and with uh that narrative, I guess, so
2: yeah, I think it's interesting because I've seen online it seems like even from people who maybe are more prone to make that criticism of a lot of stories, it seems like the reaction has generally been everyone being like acknowledging the possibility of making those comments, but then I haven't seen anyone genuinely. Make them, which is interesting, because again, like you said, mm-hmm. that's usually nowadays. It's like, oh, why'd well, saving, saving the indigenous people, and it's you know, sure. But, uh, I think I saw someone like who loved the movie glibly say, "Dune was just a story about Paul's semester abroad." <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, kind of funny, but um, but yeah, you know, it's like and secret uh Yeah, I think it the way it presents it even in the movie is uh, it discourages that as a genuine criticism so far. I think
0: okay okay um yeah and even things like uh, uh did you pick up um uh, uh the um the baron the baron harkonnen saying to a uh, Lado, he calls him cousin in that okay. uh yeah so there's there's even characters that seem very kind of archetypal and and kind of stock characters there's uh more depth there than i think uh in the average uh sci-fi fantasy from the 60s
2: <laughs> yeah i think they mean on the one hand it's like okay well you you have to be a certain level of you know like evil or bad or whatever to do some of the awful things that the harkonnens are shown doing in uh in the movie at least but but at the same time i totally got the vibe of uh like just the level that uh what is his name? They only say it a couple of times. times. Uh, Dave Bautista's character. It's like Gob- Gabar or, or Uh Rabin, I think. Rab, Rabban, yeah. yeah. Like the level to which he doesn't just seem like I'm like, you know, mustache twirling. Like he seems like righteously to be disgusted with the treaties to level where you're like, okay, like they've, everything we've seen, they've looked like great guys, you know, they've, uh. The, the heroes here but clearly there's been some long history and i thought that, that it evokes it really well having to get into you know okay well here's 400 pages or here's you know, three book series about all the awful things they've done back and forth with each other and they're very closely tied and um the, the cousin line was definitely something I was like oh okay that really reinforces there's some deep family history here and some deep resentment and um mm-hmm. and I thought, I thought man i bet there's hundreds of pages exploring this that are interesting but you get a touch of it and just enough to kind of context their interaction even if in the movie it's still like oh these are the good guys and these are the bad guys to a level but not i thought it's been clear there's nuance and uh blame to go around some levels what it seemed like even if that's not you know the
0: current moment yeah i'm excited for you to <laughs> go further go further in the story
1: Okay, so pulling it back from the deep uh discussions here and just on a lighter note, like what was your biggest surprise watching it for the first time? Um like I- I'm thinking like, uh, was it were you surprised that Leto died? Or were you surprised that uh the Baron survived? Uh or I d I don't know.
2: Just anything. Yeah, to- I'd say I would say definitely surprised that Leto died so early. Um and then I was so surprised. Like two, but two. Yeah, yeah, both that that was shocking, but I was like, it was like, okay, well, I guess you know, it's Paul's story, so it made sense in retrospect, but it definitely caught me off guard. Um, and then I was similarly thinking, no way the variant goes out this early, right? But you know, then he gets killed off, and I was like, wow, okay, so they cleared the table of you know, both these guys, all right. And then so I was definitely like a surprise in the sense that I had accepted that he was gone already, but his like, uh, like the balloon that floated away hanging out on the ceiling. Uh, well, yeah. Oh. That was incredibly creepy and um <laughs> also, I mean, surprising in a way of like, oh, well this is this reverses my previous surprise, but it's still surprising. Um I'd say both of them. Right. Yeah. Um I'd say just on a more like a broader thing, I was surprised that the movie was able to get, get through all the nouns in a way that explained them all in just such a quick like, you don't need the I watched the first like five or ten minutes of the Lynch one the other night after I finished watching the, this one for the second time just to get up a feel for you it. got
1: and ten minutes in.
2: Well, it was late, so I was just wanting to get a feel for the intro um, before I watch it maybe this weekend or something, and I immediately thought, okay, yeah, this is a different, this is what I was expecting, and, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I can't make comments about that movie yet, but I, that's more what I was worried about happening of, you know, these are the Benjastrid, and here's a paragraph oh, of yeah. monologue about who they are. And I think they use a yeah. of storytelling and quick, efficient things in this movie. And I was surprised they pulled that off. Oh. But let's say yeah, that's probably the biggest surprise I thought of.
1: What would you think of it's... the sandworms?
2: Oh gosh, yeah, I loved them. They're uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. so scary the way they the like bass reverberation they did, it it, did it, almost sucked people down in the, you know quicksand and locked in right. place. That was really cool. Obviously I was very popped about the sandworm riding at the end. Um, yeah, it's you incredible. Th- oh, yeah. the part where I raised up out of the sand that oh, yeah. peered at him was really amazing. I think shooting <laughs> it's, you know, the thing where you, you experience a derivative first and then kind of retroactive. But I think my first like concept of sandworms was the worms in the, whatever the other zone in Beetlejuice was, I watched that movie a lot as a kid. And there's like the big tube sock sandworms that are more comical. And so whenever I'd hear about sandworms, I kind of always like silently supplanted in the Beetlejuice sandworms. Um, and so they were much cooler than the Beetlejuice sandworms, although, you know, those will have a special place in the heart.
1: <laughs> I thought one thing that was neat was, um, uh, I think they get into it a little more in the book, but just how there's different types of sand um, on Arrakis and cell. So, at one point, you know, they're doing the Fremen walk, which is sort of like this weird shuffling dance to where it's not rhythmic sound, rhythmic steps um, across the desert. And then all of a sudden, uh, Paul's foot comes down on what he calls drum sand, where no matter what, uh, no matter how you do it, it's going to be so loud that it's going to attract the the worm did you pick up on that or or
2: yeah that was the thing i had to the first one he said it the first time i had to run it back and i put subtitles on for a second so I was like what did you know what like i got the vibe of okay it's loud and he's gonna there's no way to be silent but as far as the terminology yeah. being used i did have to run that back and then i thought again i was like oh i bet this is 30 pages in the book explaining you know uh what kind of sands there are and the physics behind that or something. And I meant that could be interesting or maybe grueling, but um yeah, that was that was really cool. I was interested to know, are there a variety of like are there like 15 different kinds of sand or
1: I think I, honestly I don't think I think there's like three types of sand. There's just the regular sand, there's drum sand, and then I think there's one other. Uh and I don't there there's no 30 page exposition. So like if you if you want to get into the books, don't let
0: not worry uh what about uh what about the shields what do you think about the personal shields that they wear when they're fighting hand-to-hand
2: yeah those are really cool it seemed um like visually those are really really well done in the movie i thought um it was interesting too it's kind of an explanation for why you have to have you know bladed combat in this future sci-fi world um it did seem a little bit like, okay, clearly they've worked out a number of, you know, the shields didn't really hold up super well, uh, in the movie in the few instances, but I mean, there again, obviously it's, uh, we're just seeing the assassinations and stuff and not all the many uses and day-to-day that rich people would be protected from, uh, normal violence. So
0: I thought that was a neat,
2: yeah, neat world building, neat visually, uh, presented and
0: everything. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it looks a little bit better than in the, uh, I've only seen clips of the David Lynch movie, but they went for more of a, a straight up, uh, adaptation, I think. And in the books, they make a big deal about you have to slow down your, your strikes to pass through the shields. Um, I don't know that they really, that wouldn't really work. I don't think <laughs> actually seeing it. So I, I think they, Kind of did that in the movie, but part way through, I think they're just you're kind of just going at full speed.
2: Yeah, um, yeah I'm imagining whatever that Brazilian like dance fighting is. It's kind of like slow and rhythmic. I'm imagining uh, some version of like that. <laughs> Maybe kind of <laughs> ridiculous to <laughs> see on screen.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think it was a good choice to keep it as kind of a more of a visual thing and yeah, like an explanation for why we don't have laser beams and and, and such. Um, let's that, see. I, the thing I'm curious
2: about is that, uh, my impression was that's you know, pretty much just uh, the privileged and the people that work for the privileged have those. Is that the case? Or is it like uh, more like airbags where it's like, no, yeah, we all got these personal shields?
0: I think the personal ones are more for the... I think you see it more for the off-worlders, so yeah, I guess it would be the rich people. And then they do shield the entire town, uh, like that's one of the things that UA says he did for as part of his betrayal, is he put the shields down? Okay, um, the shield they mentioned the shield wall. I wasn't sure if that was
2: like a physical. I guess mean, it's physical either way. That that's like a structural wall that was you know like a fence down into the ground, or but that's an actual like energy shield wall Mm -hmm. yeah
0: i think it's the same kind of thing um and then they it doesn't really come into play even in the books but i think there's something about you can't you can't use nuclear weapons with shields either yeah because it like it would uh i don't even remember it would be too destructive basically so it's almost like a another, uh, mutually assured destruction, kind of a thing where nobody uses nuclear weapons, nobody uses lasers. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting, uh, other yeah. thing he tossed in cool there. Cool world building thing. Right, right. Um, were there any characters you felt like were kind of under, underdeveloped? Like you wish you could have seen more of them? Um. I
2: mean, I think a lot of the Atreides, I don't know if I'd say they were underdeveloped in the sense that I didn't have a good feel for who they were, but I mean, I think most of them were so well sketched and so appealing that most of the people in the Atreides party or, you know, dynasty, I I feel like I wanted, I wanted to know more about Bernie. A thing I noticed in the second watch was uh, like when they're landing, he's reading like a, from a book of philosophy or scripture or something. And then he drops a few lines too, that again, I didn't pick up first time, but the way the Fremen are dropping uh, prophecy and stuff and, you know, under their breath a lot, like, oh, okay, you know, he will know our ways and things like that. And Gurney said right. it once or twice too. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. So um, that was interesting and gave me a sense. I don't think we saw Gurney die officially. So I'm curious, you know, anytime you don't see a character, like, eat it on screen. It's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe not. But I would like to see him more and know more what his bill is. Um, I really loved Duncan Idaho. He has a dumb name, but uh, (laughs) I'm not like a big fan or hater of Momoa, but I've like, that's a perfect role. Like he was just, yeah, I thought he was one of the best parts of the movie. Surprisingly. Um, I loved his portrayal of him and he was, you know, so, uh, so loyal and such a vicious finder. Uh, and I don't know when he, when he sacrifices himself to hold them off. It's uh, an incredible scene. Um, I, I don't think I'll see him anymore, but I'm really, you know, I would love to see like a Duncan Idaho, the adventures of uh, Mandalorians <laughs> here, and just you know, him doing now, errands for the Atreides.
1: I'm actually going to say I think that's one thing the movie did better than the book.
2: Yeah, uh, I'll because agree
1: because when both of us when we read the book, we're like, oh yeah, Duncan Idaho dies.
0: He's almost he's off screen yeah. off screen in the book almost the entire time like he got more in the movie yeah. more scenes in the movie than in the in in the book
1: oh yeah and then when when he dies in the movie you're like oh yeah oh, man, I'm yeah yeah so it it's uh th- they did it better so good job movie
2: I like the yep. sense that him and him and Paul are very clearly bros even though Paul yeah. early yeah. bro. <laughs> in a way, he was not a in yet, yeah, yeah 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 um they had a really sweet relationship i thought though yeah for sure um, um the i think maybe uh the atreides mintat and guy guy for with whatever i don't remember his name through fear fear yeah yeah i feel like maybe i mean i got his general vibe but uh he could yeah. maybe explore explored a little more just but i mean then that's in general both and kind i of got uh, pretty short shrift as far as like really going deep on screen time. So, um, yeah,
0: that's one of
1: we're hoping more will be explored in in movie two.
0: Yeah, that's one of my uh, like I I wanted more from uh, Doctor Yue of them more setting him up as as that character, um, that traitor character, and um, then yeah, through fear. Has more to do in the book, but I think they might just move all of his stuff into the second movie, is what I'm hoping. I think you could kind of rearrange rearrange some of that. So, yeah. Uh, so, um.
1: Brian, what was your favorite scene?
0: Um, I. I don't know what my favorite scene was. Um, off the top of my head, I will say. Another thing that I really liked how he did was the, the thopters, the ornithopters. I'd always thought of those as as uh, birds. I think maybe Herbert was thinking of them as birds originally, with the, the ornith, yeah, uh, part of the the name. But it it worked really well it's as the dragonfly, dragonfly right. styled. Yep, yeah, those were good.
2: I thought those looked uh-huh. really believable too, because that's a thing that. Oh yeah. Here, now we try to take inspiration from animal, uh, like locomotive, uh, design. It's like, oh, it works for, you know, the
1: in, na- in nature. Yeah,
2: yeah. What better than nature's design? A lot of times. So I thought that was a cool idea. to just be like, hey, why don't we make big mechanical dragonflies? Yeah, that was really cool though. Really believable.
1: So my favorite scene, I think, is when Jessica and Paul. Uh, They're being carried out by the Sardaukar in the Thopter. Oh, yeah. Get dumped out in the desert and killed and stuff. Uh, And just where Paul learns to master the voice. And then uh, all of a sudden you have him giving an order and then Jessica gives an order and just bam, 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 events happen. Yeah. And it's good. Like the confusion on the Sardaukar's faces of like, what is happening here (laughs) as they're being controlled against their wills to do to kill each other off i i thought that was just so well executed
2: yeah i like that a lot and there was a cool part right Here. at the end of that scene there's a moment where she's she's promised leto you know i'll protect him uh as his mother and leto says oh no like protect him as a have a you know that's like a greater level of protection than just his mom who loves him and there's a moment after this, you know, they've just escaped this really, uh, like traumatic, scary moment. And you think like, as a mother, you'd go, cur- you know, embrace him and go, oh my God, are you okay whatever? And instead Jessica says, she corrects him like a Bene Gesserit teacher would. And she says <laughs> something like, uh, you know, you have to lower your pitch and she like gives it notes basically. Like, here's what you need to yeah. do for survival. And there's no like motherly love in the moment. It's all honoring this, this, uh, vow she made to Lido. I thought that was really cool. Hmm. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I
1: think we picked up on that. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was all really good.
1: Good job, Clint.
0: Um Okay. Well I've got one more thing and then and then we can finish with your predictions. But was there anything else you wanted to discuss, Melissa? Nah. Clint, anything else? Anything else you really wanted to get to?
2: One yeah, uh, thinking about um I think probably actually maybe one of my favorite uh, Yeah, just thinking about it for a minute. I think my favorite scene might have been so like Another part I really like the movie about the movie is, you know, they have these big epic galactic scale, uh, fate versus personal agency and all this kind of stuff. And it's very broad, but then there's this, you know, it's, it's rooted in the sense of Paul as like, where I'm also just a person who wants to live my life and figure out what I'm going to do. And, you know, am I going to even live up to my family name or Leto says, I, I came to it my own way. Maybe you will, that kind of thing. Um, so there's all that and I thought that was really well done. And the so when they when they crest the hill in the desert and they see like all of the city is destroyed and just hangs around for a minute and Paul just immediately switches into like, no, we have to you know, we've gotta get we've gotta do stuff, we've gotta survive and he just kind of varies it. But then when they're in the tent later on and he sees again they do this like juxtaposition between he sees this big crazy uh, vision yeah. of the holy war. And then he takes a beat and then he goes like, he does this heartbreaking thing where he says, my father is dead. And it's, I don't know, it was like con- contrasting this huge, massive tragedy with just the immediate tragedy that he hasn't felt yet. I think that was probably the individual moment that is my favorite. I really thought mm-hmm. Cal he did a great job in general of
1: portraying
2: oh, yeah. Paul, but I think that might actually be my like, individual favorite moment.
0: Nice. Yeah, no, that's really good, and that's a uh, that's a theme that will continue throughout the story of personal tragedy versus Greater large tragedy. scale yeah. collective tragedy. So that's a that's a good uh, observation.
1: So, Clint, are you going to read the book before you watch Dune Two, or are you going to keep it keep it all a surprise for yourself?
2: Um. Yeah, I intend to. I. I hope to, to read it in the next six months. Um, So yeah, I I hope to. There's a lot of books I hope to read, of course, but uh, yeah, intending to put that one out pretty soon.
0: (laughs) What? uh, Okay. Well, let's go ahead and go. um, What are your What are your predictions for the, the rest of this first book, story?
2: Um, I haven't thought a ton about it, but I would. I guess I think, you know, he probably... There's, like, trials and, uh, you know, a good plot of him getting integrated into the Fremen and, like, rising within them. I'm assuming he does... I don't know if they need to be united, but he rises to be, like, a leader within them and then uh, go against the Empire in some some uh, way. And presumably, I'm guessing you know, triumphs there, but I don't know if that's in the first book or not, but that would be my guess.
0: All right. Well, we'll, uh, we've got it recorded and you can come back and, uh, and see after you've, uh, Hey, what Get a
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> First five minutes of the next movie, Paul dies, and it's uh, it's actually uh, yeah, I'm uh,
2: <laughs> showing you Johnny with the Chris knife stabbing <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: up on that better. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see though. I'm really looking forward to. it I guess uh, there was the news that they are making a part two or whatever. I was glad to see you uh, Yes, sweet, so
0: yes, it'll yes, we're both a few years out, but. Heaved a sigh of relief, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad they.' glad they gave the thumbs up for that. All right, uh well let's uh let's wrap it up, and then we'll uh we'll come back after the music. Um, but uh, I'd really like to hear some more uh, people's thoughts on the movie if you've seen the movie or in the book if you've read the book or both. So email us. TTO at or go to the website tto.coser.us and add a slash
1: 140.
0: 148. Did I say this was episode 148? I
1: thought it was 146. Clint?
0: Uh, 146. Uh! Okay, it is 146. Slash 146.
1: six. I'm like a steel trap!
0: Leave a comment or an email. Uh, let us know your favorite parts. Uh, let us know uh, what you think is going to happen in the second movie. Uh, let us know which of Clint's favorite board games are going to drop off of his favorite list in the next four years. And uh, we'll be back in uh, uh, maybe a week or two, and we'll be talking about uh, the uh, scary movies. Yes. Uh, so thanks to Clint for uh, some scary movie suggestions, and we'll be uh, be letting you know if your suggestions were Take We're good or bad, Clint. Clint. You've, probably, you've already seen from Letterboxd, but everyone else will find out. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing y'all talk about it.
2: gonna get the uh melissa acapella version again
1: oh wasn't that great
2: (laughs) yeah let's finish that (laughs) i'll
1: i'll pull it out sometime when when people really need something to lift their spirits all right if we hit hit another like uh deep dark point in the the pandemic then i'll know that's the time to go acapella again
2: Mm. Uh, something to be coughing (laughs) on people and
0: Right, you're in my plot. The only other thing that came to mind came to mind for me was uh, you had mentioned uh, Star Wars. Um, I don't, I don't remember. Are you a, a Game of Thrones fan, Clint? Did you watch that? Or read yeah, books? I watched
2: it. I haven't read the books, but I did watch it. And okay. I, I hadn't thought about that at all. But I can see the
0: some ties yep. there as well. Yeah, I mean Leto or I guess um Eddard Stark is is definitely Leto <laughs> in a lot of ways. And the like the the Atreides and the Harkonens and you were talking about there being more uh more nuanced than just white hats versus black hats. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I think the the politics and of the houses um, Martin was definitely drawing on that.
1: One thing that I remarked to Brian, uh, after we left the theater was that, uh, Paul Atreides is what I wanted Anakin Skywalker to be as the chosen one. Like mm. so much depth and, uh, learning to control his abilities, um, and actually mastering them and being awesome with them uh, and becoming this leader. But you're not sure what kind of leader. Mm. Uh, I think that's the depth that I wish, looking back now, uh, that I I really wish Star Wars would have had.
0: Well, I think George had that in mind and just couldn't quite get it onto the film.
1: Well, I hated it. Was
0: also- From his mind to the... He also wished he could pull off that kind of depth thing. That's an interesting point, though. I
2: don't know about that. Parody, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, that would have been great if they have uh, done something similar. Uh, one question, real quick. Uh, there's the scene on, is it Secundus? Uh, whatever, the, the horrible. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: yeah, it's Secundus.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: yes, yeah, so uh, Lucis Secundus.
2: Yeah, that was a cool name. Um, that was obviously just really alien and horrifying and. Uh, look like a, you know, some human sacrifice ritual preparing the army. Um, it doesn't yeah. have much space in the book, or is that entirely? It, it felt like something that had some exploration in the books, but,
0: uh, at least in the first book, in the first couple books, you never are, you never have a scene take place on that planet. Um, but what they set up a little bit more in the books is, um, I mean, that planet is, a. Uh, is a hellish World. yeah it's hellish purposefully because they that's where they like their idea is
1: to train fighting machines.
0: yeah like the like the ancient spartans idea of everything is just terrible and we're gonna <laughs> produce really great warriors with a a really harsh environment and so those are the emperor's shock troops and then you see in the movie how easily the the fremen were able to to um, dispatch the or have you have we seen that yet?
1: You see it in a vision.
0: Okay, sorry. You get the idea of desert power. The reason that Leto is interested in in the fremen as soldiers is they have also been uh,
1: raised in a very
0: raised in a harsh environment, and so I think there's kind of a, so- a counter to that. You see them do it, put up a pretty good
2: fight on the spur of the moment with way less equipment and stuff yeah. than the ecology side or whatever. So that's right, that's d- right, real the But yeah, you still see obviously it's like the empire's best, and it's pretty. Wasn't it cool? Place. Right? oh
1: they like they they just rise up out of the sand, and you don't even see them there, and then they're just suddenly bursting up out of the sand because they're so well camouflaged. I thought that, that
2: was cool. Not a, that was really cool. And that was another second part thing. of the first time I was like, I guess they just had guys there waiting to ambush. So like, that seems like overkill. Just these poor guys under the sand. And obviously the second time you realize, oh, no, that's the, that's the uh, like uh, tea drinkers from before that just quickly buried themselves at a moment's notice. Yeah. But right yeah. The first time I was like, all right, I'll just like, that's, you, you know, always be prepared. If we got some <laughs> <laughs> bad dude before. I'm guy under sand all day just in case